Hey everybody, Mike Lejeune here with Game Changers for Government Contractors, and I've got my friend Jack here with me today. Jack, I know a lot of people know you from LinkedIn and your show and the things that you do, but before we get started, for the folks that don't know who you are, why don't you give a quick overview of who you are, what you do, and that sort of thing. Sure, sure. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. My name is Jack Sani. I am the head of sales, head of business development over at GovSpend. We actually help folks sell to the government, and so we have a database platform. I've been doing that for about a decade. Prior to that, I actually worked on the federal government side. I worked on the F-18 fighter jet program. Most of my career has been in this on the government side of the transaction. Out of all the things that you could do, what lured you to the government market? I wish I knew that. People ask that. That's a funny question. I grew up in the Maryland area. If you've not spent any time in the kind of mid-Atlantic, yeah. a lot of things are really dominated by the government, particularly the federal government in that area. Like a lot of folks work for either the government or work for contractors that work with the government. And so it's, yeah. it's highly pervasive in that reason, right? So I kind of got sucked in as I graduated from a college in that area. My first job was with NavAir on the Navy mm. side. So I literally, I didn't plan that when I went to school. It just happened when they came to campus to recruit and the rest is history, as they say. Nice. I grew up in the South in Louisiana where the four main job options were construction. You could work in one of the factories. You could be a yeah. farmer or the very popular fourth option. You could be on welfare. That yeah. was kind of the job options there, but I've lived and worked in the DC area. So I know how pervasive it is. And, you know, even when you see TV shows and different things or people yeah. that grew up there, like kids and family and everybody, you know, if they didn't work for the government, their parents yeah. worked for the government or had a business that worked for the government, it just kind of sucks you in. It's so interesting too, as somebody who then has subsequently moved out. So I've lived in yeah. Florida and Texas the last couple of years. It's interesting when you move out of that area, then you understand why folks are not so dialed in. Because when you live in that area, you yeah. think, why aren't people concerned with the deficit or the economy? <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you move yeah. out and you're like, oh, it's not on the news every single night in the yeah. rest of the country. You know? Yeah. It's not so, dominated by everybody uh, at every coffee shop and every conversation yeah. you overhear and things like that. When I lived in the DC area while I was working there, I was right in the heart of it. Yeah. It really is. It consumes every moment really of your day and into the evening and what you're doing. And it's a lot like on TV, how people are, the young people, they're kind of getting out of high school and going to Georgetown or whatever, focusing <laughs> on their government, whatever job, you know, it's, it's very interesting. I always say to people, the government, the politics, if you're not aware of this, it's like the WWE. They come on TV and they say these things and then you go out to dinner and you see them, they're all having dinner. It's all like a show yeah. for the American public. The yeah. politicians are all having dinner and you thought, oh, I thought they hated each other. And then you're at a restaurant and they're yucking it up together. Yeah. Very interesting dynamic inside yeah. the beltway. It is so wild. And I kind of got an insight into that early on in my career. It was in the early 2000s and we wound up going to meet a lobbyist because we were, that's what you do in DC, right? We yeah. go to meet him. And when we walk in his office, which was bigger than my house, right? The office that he sat in every day, bigger yeah. than my house. And he has photos of him with every president back yeah. like 50 years. And then first thing he does, you know, this is the power play of these guys is he's like, Hey, you, you want to meet somebody? And I'm like, I don't know who is. Let me introduce you to this guy. And we walk over the copy room of all places. And he's like, hey, this is Ed Nixon. And I'm like, the president's brother? And of course, like the moment you look at him, you're like, yeah, this is the president. Course, looks right. just like Nixon, right? And then we go back to his office and he shows me this photo on the wall. And I'm like, so tell me about this photo because it's you playing piano and you've got George Bush, you know, you got W on one side and you've got Clinton on the other side and you guys are just having a ball. And he's like, oh yeah, we do movie night, you know, once a month or so. And the two of them are 
over there doing it. And I'm like, it was back in the day where they hated each other, right? Yep. Publicly. And I'm like, yeah, this is such a show. It's like the WWE. It's made to look a certain way and they already know who's going to win and who's going to lose. It'd be great if we knew. We're all just yeah. pawns in the game. Pawns in the game. This is a great discussion on government as a whole, right? But we're going to talk a little bit about the sled market today. I know that's the focus of what GovSpend came out and was just crushing again. Anytime anybody's like, hey, I'm getting in the sled market. I'm like, hey, you need this tool to do it. I know you guys brought in FedMine and I'm sure we'll talk about the two of them, but from the sled market itself, give our audience an idea of just how big the sled market is versus sure. the Fed market. As you know, since COVID, the numbers kind of move around a lot, right? During those COVID kind of those two years of spending exploded across the government world as folks were doing the PPE and the testing and what have you, but kind of an order of magnitude. It's really interesting. The federal market is probably about five, six, 700 agencies and they spend on average, four to six trillion dollars. It used to be around four or five trillion, but with COVID, it exploded to about over six trillion dollars now. So that's on the federal side. And then the sled market is really a notch below that. So many more agencies, about 90,000 agencies, and their spend is in the three to four trillion dollars a year range. Again, all these state and local agencies are just a little notch under a couple federal agencies, right? So about mm. a couple hundred federal agencies spend about five or six trillion dollars. About 90,000 sled state local education agencies spend three to four trillion. So that's kind of the order of magnitude, the composition of kind of how they compare from a size standpoint, if you were going after either the federal or the sled market independently. I've always known the sled market was big, but I don't think I've ever heard that number before. That's a massive, yeah. massive number. What do you feel are the biggest differences between selling to the Fed and the sled agencies? If you're struggling with your government contracting business, I want to encourage you today to go sign up for a free coaching session with me. You can go in the description of this podcast. There's a link to my calendar and you can go pick a time where we can sit down for 30 minutes, talk about what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, what you should change. And then if coaching makes sense for you, I'll actually go over the options on how you can get started with coaching so we can take your business to the next level. Now let's get back into this episode. A great analogy, the right way to think about it, it's just like in the private sector, doing like an enterprise deal and then doing like an SMB deal, right? Like a small, middle-sized mm. business. So when you deal with an enterprise client, we all know it takes longer, there's more logistics, there's more red tape, you can't just walk in the office. And all those are kind of typical of the federal market. And then the sled market's more like doing business with a small business where you can actually walk into the city hall of a small town or a city and actually meet some of the people you'll do business with. You can actually interact with them one-on-one. -on -one. The process to kind of get a deal done is typically shorter. There's typically less red tape. Again, it's kind of like doing an enterprise sale versus doing an SMB sale. It seems beneficial, but I would say the challenge challenge in the SLED world is that each agency and particularly each state can kind of have a different set of rules. As you know, if you're doing business with the federal government, it's kind of the same set of rules, the FAR and the DFAR is kind of governing what's happening. But in the SLED yeah. world, you could have a set of rules in California that is typically very different than what happens in Texas, which could be very different than happens in Virginia or Maryland. Those are kind of some of the variables in play. That's always honestly been my, I guess, dislike of the sled market, if you yeah. will, for a lot of people that are getting into quote government contracting, right? I'm going to be a government contractor. They just lump it all together. And I'm like, it's very different depending on very what different. you're chasing. Yeah. That's number one. And for me, when they ask, Hey, well, should I go sled? Should I go fed? I'm like, do you understand government contracting? 
And if the answer is no, I'm always like, well, for me, I prefer the Fed market because it's one set of rules, one database, one set of things like that, because you already have the uphill battle of trying to learn how to sell to the government and all of that. Like why try to figure out 50 different states and rules and yeah. websites? Start somewhere where it's easy and then move over or focus on your one state. A lot of times what'll happen to me when people come to us is they'll say, well, we can operate in these six states because we're licensed or whatever. And I'm like, man, that's going to be a challenge to learn the rule book for six states when you don't understand government contracting. And yeah. oh, by the way, maybe you're a brand new business as well, because we get a lot of those. They're startups and they're like, so you don't even know how to run a business yet. And you're trying to learn government contracting and you're trying to determine between SLED and Fed. That's to me, traditionally where I struggled with clients to say, I would go Fed market because yeah. there's less to learn. Again, unless you stick to the one state. I think when we deal with people, I don't think there's a right here. It's kind of a perspective for us, especially if they're a really small company, we actually kind of say the opposite, which is, Hey, at least in the sled world, you can go have interaction with people. They can give you feedback and you know where you stand. If you're trying to do business with a DOD or yeah. a TSA, it's hard to get the kind of the FaceTime and then and the feedback loop, which can be so important in the early stages. The rules are different everywhere, but at least in the sled market, especially if you've never done any government business, you get a little feedback loop where they can be like, Hey, we're not going to do it because of this reason. And you can get better. Well, we are going to do it. You get some feedback where sometimes in the federal world, it can be a little bit of a black hole when you're just trying yeah, to figure out how do I get better at this process? Yeah. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why I always point them to you guys. Cause I always say, look, I'm not a sled expert. That's these guys. <laughs> they understand this way better than I do. So of course I'm going to point you to what I know because yeah, I'm yeah. not spending that much time on the other one. And I always tell them, look, it's a decision you've got to make. If I'm making it, this is the direction I would go. But if you're sure. going to make this decision, that's why you go get that expert. Go talk yeah. to Jack and his team because they're the ones that are going to help you navigate this and get it going. I like what you're saying about this, the sled market, because I've talked to a lot of people and I haven't heard what you're saying about it as far as like the feedback and things like that, that you can get. One of the things that you talk about a lot is this model or framework that you guys call oh. the flagship formula. Yeah. I assume that formula is what helps make navigating the sled market easier. So tell us a little bit about how that works to help your clients. I think we get a lot of folks coming at us are like, hey, how do we start? How do we get our feet wet? And I think like all things in life, once folks have had success, it kind of explodes. We all mm -hmm. kind of chase the low hanging fruit. And so we have this formula or this framework that we developed probably about a decade ago, which is the following. And I think some of this applies federal, it's harder, but it's certainly in the sled world. If you're gonna get into a state or a region, we recommend the following. It's really a three-step process. One, target an agency that's viewed as a leader in that area. So a lot of times, not all agencies are equal. When you start networking or talking to agencies, they're gonna be like, well, hey, in our area, this county really leads the way, or hey, this city, or these people are normally the innovators in the area. So you wanna get a feel of that. And then our encouragement is always, go make them your flagship agency. Whatever you have to do to get that agency, as a client of yours, that could be anywhere from giving it to them for free to a heavy discount, but get them to love your product. You know, that book, Raving Fans. I always say to companies, look at it as a marketing cost. Go make that agency love your product. And the word of mouth from what they do is amazing. So the first step is get a flagship agency that loves your product. Second is go to the local media. Once you do, the media is always looking for stories. So imagine you're a writer for a newspaper, one of the local publications. Those people have responsibility to put out a story typically every other day or every day. They love stories about public facing government things that are a win. So almost all those reporters, whoever covers state and local, they love this. Hey, this agency near us just put in this new technology or bought this new thing. It's going to help our community in the following way. 
So get an article. It's typically not a sell piece about the company, but get an article on the local publication. So that's the second thing. Once you do, get your marketing folks, PDF that thing, clean it up, you know, put the Dallas Morning News, your article in it, make it look really, really nice. Like kind of like old school, those things would mm -hmm. be on, I mean, you go into a restaurant, you know, you'd see them right. on the wall, like we're a five-star rating, right? But get an article that's from a neutral entity about your company working with that agency. And then the last step is we encourage you to sell in circles around that agency. So you take that publicity. A lot of government agencies, as Michael, you and I both know, are kind of risk adverse, right? They don't mm -hmm. want to be the first agency to put something out, right? They're really risk adverse. They're like, I don't want to be the first one. You try it and let me know because I don't want to lose my job because we put <laughs> a new thing in place. But a weird thing happens. Once an agency has it, and when the newspaper has done an article on it and said, oh, look at this thing, it's really cool. Normally, so many agencies open up, and they're like, oh, well, if so-and-so has it, and they were on the cover of the paper, wow, it must not be that risky. Let's deploy that technology, or let's deploy that device. That's really the three steps that we've seen to be super successful, which is go invest in a flagship agency, do whatever they want to make them love you. Get some publicity and press around that. It's typically easier than you think because, again, those reporters are desperate for stories. And then sell in circles around that agency because normally there's anywhere from 50 to 100 agencies within a three-mile or four-mile radius of them. And so sell to those agencies. And it has a exponential effect because it's word of mouth in the government. And when somebody has it, they all want it. They're like, oh, you're using that? We need that. And it takes off exponentially. So that's kind of what we call our flagship formula kind of framework. I love that. It's so simple. Do you guys have any training like in your system or any webinars you guys do that's focused on that formula and kind of getting in the weeds a little bit of it? Within our platform, this GovSpend platform, we've had this thing called GovSales University, this GSU thing, where it's a series of kind of three to five minute short videos where we talk about the whole entire government sales process from, hey, how do you target agencies? And then how do you market to them? And how do you close business? And then how do you grow that business? How do you respond to bids and RFPs? What are pricing metrics? What are support metrics? I think today there's over a hundred plus videos in nice. that e-learning platform. And so we try to help folks when they get our platform. It comes with our platform that they can kind of go through those courses, those videos as they see fit. Perfect. I love that. Question about targeting the flagship agencies. In the traditional Fed market, I'm going to focus on contracting officers. I'm going to focus on small business office representatives, maybe program managers, project managers. That's usually the tight circle that I'm going to pound pretty hard on the yeah. Fed side. Who are those people on the sled side that you're typically going to target? It's really interesting. I would just say this allows some creativity. Again, the federal side be kind of more formal, but the sled side, you never really know because it can be anywhere from the mayor to the county commissioner to some of the government employees. Like it might be the chief of police or it might be the head of waterworks, right? Depending on what your product is. And so it really depends. Depends on what you're offering. They'll need to be the head of that organizational structure, right? If you're working with the police department or the waterworks or parks and rec. Shut Helmet's one of our big clients, right? And so they want to talk to the, believe it or not, the head football coach. So in a state and local world, that's a real thing. Like that person controls a lot of what happens, a lot of the spending that happens in the educational market or the principal. It really is typically a functional lead. And then sometimes if it's something so pervasive that would affect the whole municipality, it could be someone on the city council or the governor or mayor. So it really depends on what you're targeting. It is more diverse than kind of like you said, because everything in the federal market kind of eventually hits purchasing. Not always the case in the sled market, because sometimes they have all these other ways that they'll buy because they need things sometimes more immediately and they're much closer to their constituents, right? The federal mm -hmm. market, not so much. But if you're the mayor 
in a small municipality, you see your constituents on a regular basis, right? right. It's, it's very close. You know, the Secretary of Defense is not necessarily talking to the American public on a regular basis, but right. if you're the mayor or the you're on the city council, there's a daily interaction. So they have a lot of different ways they could actually acquire or purchase things based upon the need. And honestly, quick sidebar, we saw that during COVID, right? When things were going south, these municipalities had to set up testing stations and put in right. PPE and do stuff really, really quick. And a lot of the purchasing rules went out the window because of the nature of some of the emergency that was taking place at the time. And because it's so nuanced and it is a lot like just doing traditional B2B sales, you know, in, yep. in traditional B2B sales, you don't know who's going to pull the strings. Is it the CEO? Right. Is it his VP? Is it his secretary? You don't know who's going to whip out the credit card or sign an agreement sometimes. And it can surprise you. I mean, I was talking to a CEO the other day of like a $150 million company. He was the owner and CEO. I was like, man, this is a slam dunk working with this guy. And then all of a sudden out of left field, he was like, you know, I think I'm going to let these two guys make the decision. I'm like, oh, excuse me, what? And they're like, man, we hate to. <laughs> You're my champion. What are you doing? Don't drop yeah, the flag yeah, down. Yeah, what are you doing? It's so wild. And you never know that, but that's traditional B2B sales, right? In that world, because it's often a surprise sometimes who you're working with. How do you teach people to navigate that when they're not physically in the area? So like on the Fed side, you can sort of look at the forecast and the different things. But like you said, it's very structured. These are the people you talk to and that's what you're supposed to do. There yep. may be a few outside of that. But if I'm dealing with, I'm in Illinois and I'm in Southern Illinois, but I'm trying to sell to people in Chicago, I don't have boots on the ground there. I'm not at those coffee shops. I'm not at their chamber lunch and things like that. I'm not hearing the whispers and stuff like that. So how do I overcome that lack of what I would call intimacy and knowledge as well as the politics? Because there may be politics where, you know, like the governor of Illinois is like, I'm going to slash everything from my predecessors. I don't care if it's good for the state or not. We're killing yeah. it right out of the gate. And now you've lost the contract. I know that's a multiple questions. But how do you deal with not being yeah. boots on the ground and the politics that revolve around that? great issue about the politics. I think that's just being a good, well-rounded salesperson, right? Making sure that you have a sense for what's happening in the area that you're calling into. That's a whole thing in itself, being sensitive to, did we switch administrations? Did we switch parties? There can be a lot of squirrels in that, right? The biggest thing I would just say, things have changed a lot since COVID. Because even if you were in an area, a lot of folks aren't in their facilities a lot of the time right now, right? A mm -hmm. lot of folks, just like in the private sector, in the public sector, are working from home and it can be really hard to reach them. In the old days, if everybody was in the city hall building, you could go and kind of make your way through. Or, but like you said, if you're not in the area, we talk about all the time, what are scalable things you can send somebody? Because the biggest factor in all government sales, for everyone that's watching this, is a lot of the government folks are risk adverse. So I just want to repeat that. They're very risk adverse. So sometimes we in the private sector are like, this is the greatest thing. It's the newest thing. You're going to love it. It's going to help you reduce costs. And it's going to have this major benefit for your municipality or your organization. But if it's so new, you have to remember the folks on the government side have typically taken a job that's kind of below their private industry pay rate. And a lot of them are really counting on their retirement and what they're going to do after their time in the government world. And so they're not necessarily excited to be these forefront innovative people. So the biggest thing is trying to reduce the risk for them, kind of going back to the flagship formula, is when you're able to deploy somewhere, the more references you have, the better. But your first one is tough. It's like coming out of college. How do I get my first job? So I build my resume. Mm -hmm. So the biggest thing is 
Try to look at all the things you're doing. If you're new to the government sales space, look at the things you're doing, like marketing costs, getting a couple agencies that love you almost at any cost, right? Whether it's you lower your price or you give it to them for free or whatever it is to get in because your two things are the biggest variables. Your references that when you're trying to interact with somebody from Tennessee and they're in Illinois, you're able to go, hey, we're working with these two agencies already in the state is huge. That's better than anything you can say. We're already mm -hmm. working with these couple agencies, right? They love that. And then secondly, the more third-party validation is what we call it you have, whether that's testimonials from people, newspaper articles, things maybe a university's done a test study on your product or your solution. Anything you can provide to them is super helpful because, again, they want to mitigate the risk. They want to operate effectively, but they don't want to be the first one. So the ability to get yeah. references third-party validation. The last thing I would just say, just general post-COVID 101, encourage folks with all of our new mobile phones, the ability to create video content so they see and hear you in a not face-to-face -face environment, we found to be huge, right? Being able to create short, keyword being short, don't send them a 20-minute video yeah. of you rambling about your product. They don't care. Can you in two minutes send a couple videos that talk about your company, the product, some of the testimonies? So you tell your story because if the person you're trying to reach is never in the building anymore with post-COVID, how they're mm -hmm. working, it doesn't do you any good. Those would be the three biggest things that can impact folks when they're not local trying to get those first couple deals in. Those are really good. Now, you've mentioned a couple of times about lowering the price, giving something away for free. And again, this is just my lack of the sled knowledge. On the Fed side, you can't do that. Like, I mean, you could discount a price, but it has to be reasonable. And if it's free and if it's over $25, I tried to give somebody a book the other day. It was $19 yeah. for the book on Amazon. She's like, no, 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 please don't do that. So rules different on that side, on the slide well, side? I think it's a really an issue of communicating. So we have had that both with our company and work with other companies. When you approach an agency, we had an agency right outside of Dallas we wanted to work with to kind of work in the Texas market. This was our previous company. We're going to deploy our solution to you totally for free. We're going to give it to all your people. It took forever though. Why are you going to give it to us free? What's mm -hmm. in it? You know, and we had to go through some cycles, but it was amazing. That agency loved it. They deployed it. The impact it had on their agency totality and they were able to scream it from the rooftops. We're using it and we love it. It's had an amazing impact and it really helped us flow out the state of Texas. I think it's finding the right way to get your technology into an agency. What I have found, and I love your feedback, they say all sales is about relationships. A lot of times when an agency or the person at the agency loves what you do, they'll help guide you through how to make it happen, right? Whether that's on the, you know, the federal side, hey, are you on GSA schedule? This is how we normally buy. They're not going to violate all the rules, but they'll nudge you in certain ways to be like, hey, if you were over here, Here's how we do it. And yeah. so I just encourage folks to build the relationship and then think creatively about, hey, if you really want to get into a particular city or in a state or a major federal agency, if you're just doing it like everyone else is doing it, it's a long slog. You're not the only company approaching the DOD or TSA or the Department of Education if you have something new. Like they're getting pinged all the time. What can you do to stand out a little? Because all you're trying to do is just connect the dots so someone reaches back out to you for you to tell your story. That's what we're always trying to do in sales. And so I just encourage folks to think creatively about how do you get somebody's attention for 15 minutes? And then if your product's great, it'll typically take on a life of yeah. its own.
What we used to do in the software business was instead of charging, say, the 10 or 12 grand for this particular software for a company that was like trying to test it out, we'd be like, hey, just pay us 1500 bucks. That is for the installation. We'll send a guy out. He'll install it on your server and he'll do user training for up to 10 people under that 1500 bucks. We'll give you a license for 90 days so you can check it out. And then after 90 days, if you want it, it's 20 grand or whatever it was, right? But it was something they could put on a credit card. We didn't charge them for for travel fees or anything like that. It's like, hey, here's our test pilot type of thing that you can do. And it was 1500 bucks. That was one way we did it. Um, and that's like, hey, that's just what it costs. The thing I just, I want to say for the folks that are probably watching this already involved in the government process or want to be, the thing is the government takes a lot of heat for like, oh, it's slow and it takes forever. Mm -hmm. And there's all these rules. And two things we always talk to people all the time about. Typically, things in the government can happen much faster than the stereotype. There's a lot of ways we saw during COVID when they need something, they can make things happen really yep, quick, yep. right? So I just want to say that. And then secondly, where we are overall economically in the country, one of the best parts about doing business with the government, it kind of recession proofs your business a lot because the government is going to spend money no matter what, right? And right. during COVID, when a lot of private entities shut down, so I assume you guys had this as well. Our business yeah. exploded because the government was the only entity that was spending money. And so it does require some creativity and, you know, you got to follow the rules a little bit. But a lot of the stereotypes that have been prevalent for decades really aren't true once you get educated about how to do yeah. it, how it works. And again, you get a couple government clients that you'll typically land and then grow. It can really change your business. And when the economy right. dips, you don't feel the dip as much as you do in the private sector. Those are some real benefits. Yeah. A lot of times we talk about like, oh, the government, it's tough, yeah. it's hard, it stinks. It's like, yeah. no, it can be so life-changing for your company, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people have a bad perception because either like a movie like War Dogs or yeah. they hear a press release and they're like, $89,000 for a hammer, are you kidding All me? All the time. You know, right. They hear the stupid things like that and part of them goes, light bulb, I can sell hammers for $89,000, right? So they get in and they're like, wait a minute, there's no RFPs for $89,000 hammers or right. you know, $150,000 toilet seats. Where are those bids? They're not there. They're just not there. I think they get the bad rap based on stuff like that. And then, like you said, you get in and you realize, okay, that's not how it works. Well, there is a controversy every day, right? If you just Google yeah. every day government procurement, because there's 90,000 plus agencies, right? There is, there is typically yeah. a controversy every there's day. Still... And by the way, the government is the largest prospect in the world. You're, you're, again, you're talking about yeah. $789 trillion, which is like $24 billion a day on average. So where there's smoke, there's fire. There's a ton of money. So yeah, yeah across the country, there is always a little smoke there. But yeah. there's people trying to scam them. That was what we heard a lot during COVID. It, and it happened a lot with 8A companies. The government was trying to award that, trying to hit their numbers. They were like, woohoo, we've got all this extra money. Let's drop it in, yeah. hit our small business goals. And then they award $300 million to a guy who's never done work before. And that guy goes, buys four Lamborghinis, right? Or something along those lines and doesn't do the work. Talk about a reason to be risk adverse when you see that kind of thing. Because you brought that, I just want to add one thing. We all want the big contract and just what you said is so important i encourage you to think small when you first start because even if you got a hundred million dollar contract from the government which is everyone wants you and i both there's a lot of logistics on how you get paid and yeah. how you report and all your stuff it's not like the government goes here's a hundred million dollars thanks for playing you have to work your way into it just think like if it was in the private sector whatever you make if you're a small company and you got a hundred million dollar contract from microsoft or oracle or whoever could you deliver on it? It's great to think about. So just think about the scalability of what you're doing. We all want the bigger deals, yeah. right? Because 
because the sales rep, you're like 10% of a hundred million, I'm getting a new house, right? But yeah. you got to be able to deliver on it. I always talk to people that are like, they get romanced by NASA soup because, you know, yeah. NASA soup is one of the sexiest vehicles out there because yeah. of the volume of dollars flowing through NASA soup. But understand the demand on NASA soup is you had better be able to deliver like your Amazon. If yeah. they order something today, they want next day shipping or two day shipping. And there's no excuses for we couldn't do it. There's no excuse. You don't do it. You get booted because it is that flawless on the execution side. And I see a lot of companies who go from, hey, we're a one or $2 million company and we win this $20 million company and they go under because they can't deliver and it just ruins them. Yeah. I lived in the Melbourne area right near NASA, you know, where Cape Canaveral. I lived in South Florida and you would think, oh, you're near Miami. There's a lot more businesses. There's actually not. There's so many businesses around that Melbourne, the central Florida area where yeah. NASA and they're doing all the flights and SpaceX and Blue Origin now. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. That's my favorite area in Florida, by the way. So we stay at Cape Canaveral a lot and we've got friends yeah. in Melbourne and India Atlantic and all that stuff. I love that whole it's area. Great. As we're kind of wrapping up here, I want to make sure we hit a couple of things here towards the end. One is I've heard there's a lot more business being awarded, what they call outside of the bid RFP process oh, directly yeah. to people in the sled market. How and why does that happen in the sled market? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll do these really quick, but there's about 10 ways in the sled world, much more than the federal world that things get awarded. Just a little inside secret. Everybody that works in the government world wants to avoid the bid and RFP. It's painful for the agency and it's certainly painful for the company. So everyone's trying to find a way. And so in the sled world, there's about 10 ways. So those being sole source, right? If you have something that can be sole source, piggyback, which is piggyback and offer an RFP you've already won, a discretionary spend. Every agency has an amount of money they can kind of spend whenever they want. The P cards, which are really just the government credit card that folks can buy off of, used a lot more in the sled world than the Fed world. The set aside, the government's way ahead in the set aside socioeconomic world. It's another way to kind of get out of the highly competitive bid world. Simplified acquisitions, number six, like I can get three quotes and then award really quickly. Mm -hmm. GSA schedule, the state schedule or state contracts, co-ops. There's a lot of co-ops there where agencies get together and buy things together or private entities kind of aggregate for co-op. Think there's a private entity that lists all the SKUs that are in Home Depot. You know, when I always yeah. say, when you know when you're going to screw out, there's all these screws and bolts, you're like, how would I buy any of these if I work for the government? There's a co-op for all those things. And then lastly, number 10 is state emergencies or a state of emergency. So when the governor or the mayor declares a state of emergency, all of the procurement rules, a lot of them go out the window. And they're able to do things really quick, right? When there's a log down in the middle of the road, it's not like, we better get three quotes. And No, it's like, who can get the log out of the road the fastest for some price that's not crazy? And so those are really the 10 ways that state and local tries to leverage. Because if you follow some of the bid RFP companies that are out there, they'll give you some crazy stats that really only about 20% of government procurement now goes through a full bid and RFP, yeah. which is a crazy low number, right? Yeah, so. that, that's the number we throw out there. We're like 80% of it's not going to go through that because exactly what you said, those contracting right. officers are looking for any way possible to award this before going full and open or even going on a set aside on SAM.gov. Like let's avoid yeah. SAM.gov if we possibly can. And to their credit, there's tons of vehicles that have been in, put in place to avoid that. Sure. So why not use them? It all boils down to a lot of times contracting officer preference because that's yeah. the person in the driver's seat determining, do I use one of those 10 options you just talked about? Do I put it full and open? What do I do in order to make this happen? But I think what a lot of people think about the government, you got to remember, there are people too. And just like you have your favorite mechanic, yep. favorite gas station, or where you go shop, there are people too. Again, so much of sales is the people part. And when the head of purchasing or folks in the contracting office or the mayor or the governor loves your company and loves your solution, they typically find a way 
Think about this. If you have a loved one that's a police officer, do you want them to have the cheapest Kevlar vest that they got economically? Or do you want to have the best Kevlar vest? Stuff like that. When you think about it, you're like, yeah, I don't want them to have the cheapest Kevlar right. vest, right? And yeah. so it's really important that folks that are selling to the government sell your value proposition because the government, they're not profit conscious. They want the best solution that'll last the longest period of time, right? Yep. And they want no controversies. They want to get their pension at the end of the day. A lot of really good stuff. And, you know, we didn't even talk a lot about the federal side or tools and stuff like that. We'll have to have you back on and kind of get more into it. I'd love to do an episode on prospecting using tools like GhostBin, yeah. FedMind, that sort of thing. I think it's really overwhelming for a lot of people in the market. Again, I always put myself in the position of a CEO who's trying to run a business first and foremost. Yep. Then he's trying to learn the government market. Then all of a sudden there's a tool where they're like, hey, you got to use these two or three websites in order to do stuff. And they're like, ah, I just want to sell my product. And then they've got to learn how to write an RFP, right? There's so many things they're trying to learn. I think it would be great to do an episode on yeah, how to use the tools and what you really need to get out of a tools because I see the flip side where people geek out about the tool and they live in the tool, but they're not winning business, right? Yeah, they're not so selling. It's like, go out and use the data that you're getting. Don't just look at it and put it in spreadsheets and go, wow, yeah. look what I did. You know, you didn't do anything. Yep. You got to use it. Great episode today. I really appreciate it. I'll have all your contact on the website for folks. Thanks for coming on and talking about this. It was very insightful for our audience who never hears me talk about the sled market. So I really uh, appreciate that. I'll be back anytime. I love it. Great. Uh, I love it. Thanks, Jack. Yeah. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, I would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast and screenshot it and tag me on LinkedIn or whatever social media you use. So thank you again for joining us today and we'll see you next time.